All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, Jerry Angeli. Jerry has been a manufacturing and supply chain executive for over 35 years, including CEO level experience. He's had the opportunity to work all over the planet on products ranging from high volume consumer to very custom, high value added, durable goods. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Great to be here and appreciate you uh, extending the invitation to me on the podcast. Absolutely. So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing. Well, it all started way back when I left college. I remember the line in the interview that got me into my first job. Coming out of an engineering school, the interviewer asked me what I would like to do. And I said, look, if you're looking for the world-class designer, that's not me. If you're looking for somebody who knows how to analytically troubleshoot things and fix stuff, work on things associated with quality and reliability. And he stopped me at that moment. He said, I get a thousand of the first kind. I get one a year of you. When can you come to visit the shop? And that's how it started. So from then until, and and, and in the early days, people called me a factory rat because I was always in the factory. And so that's how I got started in manufacturing and supply chain. It's a virtuous profession to make things and, and get them out there. And so um, over the course of my career, been up and down the supply chain from customer service on the one end to procurement on the other. It's treated me well. And being in supply chain these days is just a little difficult. So what are some of the things that you're seeing that you're experiencing or or seeing happening in the industry? And maybe what are some of the ideas that you have for to reestablish the business continuity? Well, that's, that's the greatest place to start. I get very vocal at times about what I see going on. And much of it has its roots back in the, in the 1980s when just-in-time and zero inventory production started. And just hold that thought for a second because those were all good things to do. When I came to Florida, I was, I was recruited uh, to a company down here in Hollywood and shortly after I got, who needed an operations executive? They had uh, manufacturing locations in various parts of the planet. And when I got here, they had, they had just moved the company from another state to South Florida. And as I entered, the boss said to me, I need you to stick your nose in something for me. He says, uh, everybody warned me that there's hurricanes here. And you got to have a plan if you're you know, manufacturing, whether it's here or anyplace else, to recover from a weather event. They didn't call it business continuity back then. It was disaster recovery. Mm. And so I stuck my nose into the topics. And as I got involved with it, naturally, the, the first thing is power. Second thing is water. And all learning associated with 
recovering from whether it's a hurricane or a flood or a, or a tsunami, doesn't matter, is episodic. You learn what to do next time because of what's happened to you this time. So there's no, there's no manual written. There's no checklist. There's no place you can go to say, what is it do I have to do? Can I run down this list and be safe? No, you, you've got to build your, you've got to accrue your own knowledge. And so we began doing that. And the more I got involved with it, you, you, we went through a couple of storms where you're, you're down for a week or two. You begin to build an encyclopedia and a dictionary of what to do. And you'll resonate with this, that one of the things that I learned early on is uh, they always talk about power and water and, you know, stay away from the down electrical lines. You got to take care of the folks. Getting ready for it, preparing for the coming storm, what happens during the storm, and what happens after the storm. The first thing you do is take care of the people. Make sure that they are they have enough time to get their affairs in order. That sounds a little dark, but, yeah. but it's true. They want to take care of their house. They want to make sure that their assets are safe, just like you do in manufacturing. And the second thing is communication. Always, always overdriving. What's going on? Why is it happening? What's happening to you? When are we closing? When are we opening? All of that stuff you have to take care of first because that fosters a sense of belonging in the people. And if they know or appreciate that you're taking care of them, they'll take care of you. So you need, you need your workforce with you. Absolutely. So what did this company do before you then? Did they just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and then one day decided that they needed a process? Because Florida's always had storms. Well, they remember, they had just moved here too. They came from up north. So up oh, north, you know. Oh, there you go. Okay. You, you're, you're up north, we had snow days. Right. 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 <laughs> snow <laughs> that shut us down and, for a day and that was about you, it. You dig out from under and you go back to work. Exactly. But here, there's a great deal of uncertainty. The point is this, the learnings that accrued from the topic of disaster recovery align themselves very well with the modern version called business continuity. And in the business continuity book lives the supply chain. The analysis of what you need to ensure that your supply of materials, the critical ones to the nuts, bolts, screws, and plastic bags are tended. And, and probably the biggest mistake that I see happening now is that the supply chain first suffered from the just in time, right? We want everything to get here just in time. Well, okay, that's fine, but not all the time. There are certain things that you need a three or four week supply of during hurricane season because you might mm. not be able to get them. And so you have to make for provision for you can call it stockless production, but what are you doing to keep yourself running in the event that something happens to you or to somebody else in Jacksonville, for example? You know, you could have a storm up there and not here, but you still can't get stuff. And then those same, the second thing is like for like. Your A-class items in your inventory, you know, the stuff that's uniquely yours, the, the, the materials that make your products your products, the A items, the expensive stuff, 
the stuff that comes from maybe one or two places on the planet. The relationship that you have with those suppliers should be different from the relationship that you have with people who sell you the C and D items. And so what, one of the things that we learned to do is that for the A items, the 20 or so items that make up the critical pieces that you need in your processes, as the president of the company, I, taught, I made sure that I had a line to the president of the company where they came from. Pyramid level to pyramid level, president mm -hmm. to president, vice presidents to vice presidents. And because, because if, you, if you relegate the entire supply chain, and I have nothing against the purchasing department, don't get me wrong, you have no firepower. The regular folk talking to the regular folk can't get you to need something when you need it, can't get you to deliver something when you need it. And here's the, the critical learning. If you do that process all the time, whether or not there's a storm or a disruption of any kind, it becomes a matter of routine. It's okay for you to call the president of the other company and say how things are going. Have quarterly meetings about your A items. Costs go up, costs go down, materials come in short supply. You have those dialogues routinely. When a storm happens and you can't get what, diesel fuel for the generator. If you call the president of that company that day, when the other thousand people are calling that guy that day, you're just another pain. Right. Right. You have to nurture those relationships in the supply chain all along. So let me give you a good example of that. I had a friend who had a business that made sub-assemblies for us down here in Fort Lauderdale, and his business was up in Tallahassee. He had the same problem. They get hit too, right? With with uh, with storms. So one day we were talking, and he says to me, he asked me a question about business continuity because he know he knows that that was a, a big question of mine. And he says, uh, "What happens if there's a storm in Tallahassee and I can't get you the product you need?" I said, well, the, the truth of the matter is I can make your I can make the sub-assembly that you're making too. I'll just, just put the parts on a truck before the storm hits you, send them down here. And I could do the same thing. If the storm is going to hit here, I could send my stuff up there and you could make the products that I make. So, so it was um, a handshake that came of a discussion about keeping the supply chain continuous for those critical parts during a disruption that was caused by weather. But you have to think through that stuff. You have to work on it, not all the time, but you have to think about those disruptions. And the well, same yeah. thing applies. We had another example where a truck full of a different subassembly was in an accident, caught on fire, and we lost two months of per two months production and didn't know it. You know, it was the wow. Where's the truck? Uh huh. Uh, so you go on a, a magical mystery tour trying to figure out what happened to your parts, but the same. The same things that you learn in business continuity for a storm apply there. And then the last thing I'll talk about is um, the competence of managing for continuity. When the pandemic hit and things started to shut down because factories shut down, supplies were short because nobody was working. But then we started to run out of raw materials because the, the places where the raw materials were short.
the disturbance this time, no money planned for this disruption to last this long. Even in all the planning that we did, the longest period of time that we planned for was a month. Because you figure anything that would happen, short of you know getting a fire that burns you to the ground, you'll come back to life within a month's period of time. There's several things that have changed that now. One is cybersecurity. That's a disaster that's man-made. Somebody attacks you, drops your operation to its knees, either for because of ransomware or just because they do nasty things. Provisions for cyber attacks in the supply chain, all businesses have to plan for. When we look at some of the things that are, you know, in Florida, you know, there's going to be storms and there's parts from August to November, whenever hurricane season is that you can plan to have that three or four extra weeks. A truck is a catching on fire is a one time event. But how would you prepare for things you know, like the pandemic, we have this backup at the LA ports where people are waiting months and months to get their supplies. I mean, is there anything that we could have done or that we could have, uh, that we could be doing better uh, when the absolutely unexpected happens like it's been for the last two years? That's a, a fascinating question. Lisa, and it's one that I, I wish I had five bucks every time asked, somebody asked me that question in the, last, in the last three months. Okay, when there's a disruption, three things happen all the time. First thing is, prices go up, never go down. Drought in Brazil, coffee prices go up tomorrow. They go up, they don't go down. Prices go up when there's a disruption. Supply uncertainty increases for whether the tsunami in Japan that took out the ICs back in, I don't know, I think it was 2010. Um, supply uncertainty increases. Everybody starts to, everybody who uses those supplies starts to grab at whatever that thing is. And three, shortages and allocations happen. Never goes the other way. Now, part of my career, I worked in the Far East and lived there. And I can tell you that the ports of LA and Long Beach are always the ones that get congested. They're the ones that always have the line of, tr of freighters and tankers lined up waiting to unload. Not Seattle not Miami, Long Beach, and Los Angeles. Now, someone somewhere should be thinking about that, saying, in the event of a disruption, why don't we send the boats someplace else to load and unload? Hmm. As simple as that. I, that one infuriated me. People get on TV and they say, oh me, oh my, what are we going to do? You mean nobody thought of that? One of the things that we used to do when I was over there is call up my customers and say, where do you want me to send this stuff? Because LA and Long Beach are going to get backed up. 
The other alternative, interestingly enough, is you can put it on an airplane. Cost you a little more, but you have to do the decision and risk analysis that says, what's worse, spending a little bit more money or not having it? That's right. a decision and risk analysis analysis. But it's always the same ports. Make provision for that. When there's a disruption, those ports get disrupted. They get the lines. And then somebody, and then there's a Eureka someplace in the in the and say, geez, why don't we send it through the Panama Canal and get it to get it to Miami or someplace on the East Coast? It costs more. Good example of that was the freighter that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah. The container. All kinds of memes on that one, that's for sure. Well, yeah, after it happened, then everybody said, oh, me, again, oh, me, oh, my, what are we going to do? The boat was stuck for a week. So worst that could happen is we'll be down for a week. Now, that's not the way it works, folks. It's a chain. When that boat gets stuck, all the other boats that go passing through that canal, have to. all the other ships have to sit and wait. Right? Right. And so at one point in time, and I kept, I kept watch over that one, again, for the same reason, because I was learning. I'm veriferous when it comes to learning, right, about this stuff. There were 400 ships on either side of that canal waiting for the one that was stuck to get unstuck so they could move. All, now, each of the, the, the boat that was in the canal stuck I think had something like 20,000 containers on it. So not only were the ships not loading and unloading, they were just sitting there idling. The containers were all in the wrong place. Right? They weren't being loaded or unloaded or on the way back or on the way to a customer. They were in the wrong place. And, and what happened next? The cascade started to happen. Right. So even though the boat was only stuck for a, a week and a half, technically, I guarantee you there'll be stuff that happens next month that someone will cite the reason it happened is that boat being stuck in the canal last year. Wow. It's the, cas it's the cascade. One thing starts to set up the next and, and, and you run out of stuff. And exactly. that's the work. That's anathema to any manufacturing out of person. You run out. And what happened during the pandemic? We ran out of everything. Right. Yes, we set. did. Yeah, <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> and that doesn't the count the changes of... that doesn't you're right that doesn't count the changes in demands that right. happen when people begin to i don't want to say hoard that's the that's the wrong thing but make a run on a particular commodity right. and, and whether it was dye for paint think think of the things make a list of the things that come to mind the pigments for paint chlorine for your pool you, the one that you cited, uh, toilet paper, paper products, all all went short, all went on allocation, can't right. get it. And then what happened? The prices went up. Price goes up, delivery uncertainty goes up, allocations result. You get a disruption, those three things are going to happen, guaranteed. Might only last a day. In our case, we're lucky. It's two years. Right. So let's go back to the very beginning, because I thought it was interesting when you said out of all this disruption that's going on, including with the pandemic and hurricanes, that it really comes down to people first and taking care of the people. So what have you seen as far as good examples of that or just some of your philosophies about creating that positive workplace and really focusing on the employees? Because, you know, frankly, they're in short supply too right now. 
same thing is happening. The, the, if you view the human resource as part of the chain, the same things are happening. You're over and short on the same day. Um, and, and there's a whole host of reasons that are beyond the scope of this podcast to talk about why people are doing that. One of the CEO roundtables that I sit on, we discuss this, this topic all the time because it's, it's changing the fabric of, of manufacturing quite dramatically. You know, working from home is wonderful. I, and virtual work is great, but you, unless we turn manufacturing operations into cottage industries, you got to go to work in the building where everybody else is to get done what you need to get done. One of the greatest things that I'd seen, I saw in the Far East and I saw here, when it happened, there were people in, in, the, immediate in the immediate mode went into a safety protocol. Make sure everything was super clean. You know, yeah, the place smells like Clorox and, and Clorox and bleach, but there was no there was no hesitancy on the part of the people that managed the operations to make sure that they didn't do anything to make the situation worse, and that the place was clean and neat and and tidy and sanitary every day. Every day. What what were those things? Well, they they uh, and from business continuity. When a storm happens, everybody gets, in the beginning, before the storm hits, everybody has a job and a task. There's assignments made. Your job is this. Your job is that. And one of the things, I, one of the best practices I had seen is immediately uh, several of my colleagues that run operations split their shifts apart hmm. so that there was a time window when the first shift would stop and then spend an hour cleaning the place before the next shift got there. So they created a two hour window where nothing was happening so that one could tidy up, straighten up, sanitize, leave, next one comes in. What does that do? That instills a sense that, again, back to the folks, they care enough to make sure that I have a sanitary place to work and it's visible. The value is recognizable, right? They get to work and yeah, the whole place smells like Clorox or whatever, Fabuloso or whatever product you happen to use to do the, the cleaning. But it's, it's, a, it's a tangible example to the folks that somebody cares about them. Okay. So probably if you put the numbers to it, they may have lost a little bit of production, but if they were able to save those people from leaving the company because they didn't feel safe, they didn't feel protected. They, uh, you know, with the great resignation going on, they could have been a big part of that and just left. So I'm, it, it sounds like there was probably a, an evening out of the numbers where you, they didn't take as big of a loss as they could have by stopping production like that. What did, what did they find? That they, they ran it. 80% capacity, but, but, you know, it throttles back. It absolutely does. But at the same time, their demand throttled back as well. But the biggest, the biggest benefit was the operation kept running. And one of the things that some days I used to say, the rest of the world knows how to do this, but America doesn't because we never stop. We never mm -hmm. sit down. We never take a vacation. We're always working. Starting and stopping 
kills a manufacturing operation unless you know how to start and stop, unless you know how to wind down the operation and start the operation back up. This is what killed the ICs. When you shut down, I, lead time to an IC is 48 weeks, unless you stop it. And what's an IC? Integrated circuit. Okay. The, chip. the, okay. the thing that, the thing that, that, that is also void at the moment because they can't get the raw materials and the machines have been shut down for so long. And, and then when you lose the human resource, that does it, you also lose, a colleague of mine calls it the tribal knowledge. Yeah, you could have all the processes, procedures in the world written down and documented and codified. But if you lose the person that knows how the whole thing goes together, you've just been disrupted in a big way. So, so what it does is it establishes a continuity through that period of time. Yeah, you're not, the tachometer is not running at 7,000 RPM, it's down at 4,000 RPM, but you're still running. You're not forgetting how to do anything. Go back to what you just said with the stop, starting and stopping kills a manufacturing plant unless you know how to do that. So in your plant where you just talked about that two hour window, they did start and stop. So go into a little bit more detail. Is it starting and stopping a good thing or is it not a good thing? Yeah, and I don't mean to confuse the issue. What I'm, the, the two hour window wasn't a start and a stop. It was okay. a gap that production picked back up, not in the immediate mode. Okay. What I'm talking about starting and stopping is when you have to shut down an operation and have an un and to a standstill okay. over a long period of time. Uh, a good example of that that happens every year is Chinese New Year. Okay. Everybody in, in the Far East, in the southern part of China, where many supplies come from, there's a two week window end of January into February where the factory shut down. Everybody goes home. They know how hmm. to do it. They know how to stop the factory, send everybody home. And two, three weeks later, everybody comes back to work and they know how to start it back up again. And there's a, a wind down period and there's a startup period. Um, but they face the same problem every year. I faced the same problem every year. The workers that you get back aren't the same ones that left two weeks ago. Hmm. So there's a period of training that goes on. Uh, and so you need you need to build out you need to build those starts and stops and what you need to do because of them into your processes and that's what i meant when i said they know how okay. to do it and we don't we're we're constantly working or we were before the pandemic and everything's always on except now so now we're having to learn with with other places and other manufacturers have learned and that is how to start and stop effectively uh, but when you when you cold start, I guess that's a better way to say it. From a cold start, an integrated circuit lead time is a lot is a bit longer than a short stop. Okay. And yet it still really comes down to even through all of this is focusing on the people taking care of the employees so that you can they know that you're going to be there for them and that they will have somewhere to go back to when business is starting again. We've not seen the aftershocks mm. yet. We've seen some of them. We've seen the one where people don't go back to work because the place is, we've seen the one where people don't want to go back to work. They said, you know, I've worked my entire life and, and I've, I've, I've had it. 
I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Let somebody else yeah. do it. There's there's a myriad of reasons why people left the workforce, and and that provision that some something has to be done. I, I here in Fort Lauderdale, one of the biggest impacts was in the where, where this is where tourism and and travel and tourism are big industries here, and it's it's very difficult for the places that uh, tend to the folks who visit here to be tended. Getting those folks. Um, uh, is is difficult in the hotels in the in the places where people visit restaurants. Yep. Absolutely. Well, we see that up here too in Cleveland. You know, you go to a restaurant. There's a 45 minute wait, and it looks like half the tables are empty. So, supply chain is everywhere. So, as we're getting to the end of our time together, when you think about business continuity. What would be your best tip for somebody listening to this today to be able to plan for that as best as they can when there is a disruption? Plan for it. They, people that have never experienced it have now experienced one of the most savage ones that I've ever seen. But unless you plan for it, unless you categorize your inventories of the stuff that you, you need um, and evaluate how it's supplied to you, where it comes from, uh, make a map um, that includes your operational map, your equipment map, your people. Um, just get started. If you don't get started, you, you'll never get anywhere. Um, the, other, the other bit of coaching I would say is they're, they're uniquely yours. Your processes and your, the things that you do, while there may be some commonality to other manufacturing operations, and you can learn a lot by benchmarking, these things are custom to you. Um, you. You, as a manager, have a responsibility to your folks to know what drives them and what they feel is important. And you want them back. I, nobody, nobody says they want to discard anybody. Um, and then go have to look for new ones, but everybody's been foisted into that. So number one, get started. Number two, analyze your processes and procedures. Number three, like for like, level for level. A items should be worked on by top level people. D items should be worked on by equivalencies in those companies. There's no, there's no silver bullet. It's a lot of stuff. Um, and, and write it down, codify it review your continuity plans, whether it's for a storm or for like something we just passed through now. Those and 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 do an after action review. What did we learn? Right. Learning learning has to start to be viewed. The accrual of knowledge in a company has to be start has to be looked at as a competitive advantage. Because to me, the company that learns the most, the fastest, has an edge over companies that don't. Absolutely. And whether that's people retention or what to do in, in case there's a in case there's a fire. Anyway, that was a good example. I learned something from my last boss when we have fire drill. Everybody has fire drills. October is National Fire Prevention Month. So the right. alarm goes off and everybody goes out in the parking lot and has a smoke or does whatever they do and then comes back to work and gets to work. Well, there were two events in my career in Florida. Both the, one of them happened when it just the power went off, just because the power went off. The, somebody was working on a line, somebody had a pole, who knows what. And my boss walked in and said to me, Hey, you know, all that business continuity stuff, 
you got going. Everybody was sitting in the cafeteria waiting for the power to come back on. Get it in gear. Figure out what to do. <laughs> I what? It'll come back on. No, that's not good enough. That's why I hired you. Get going. The yeah. second one had to do with a fire drill. I said, everybody went on a parking lot. Everybody came back in. My boss says, did everybody get out of the building? I guess. What do you mean you guess? Suppose it was a real fire. What are you going to do? So that gave rise to this whole, where is everybody? Was it a real fire or was it a drill? How did you know? Where are the collection points for the people? I mean, it, it took three days to straighten out and get a process in place for a simple fire drill to know that it was effective. Not that you checked the box that said, yeah, everybody went in the parking lot and came back out, but there's a, it's another level. It's another level down of making sure that the people were safe. While it was not very much fun when it happened, you can turn it into something that's a learning experience and that makes it, that makes it okay. And again, it gets back to this point of they're thinking about us. It's, it's, they're worried about us. They're not doing this just to check another box. They're actually worried that we got out of the building if there was a real fire. Right, right. Well, Jerry, if somebody did want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, you have my contact information. Yeah, that'll uh, go in the show notes. And, and uh, they can contact me. This is a topic that, I, as I, I mentioned before, I'm on a, on a group called the CEO Roundtable. This is a topic um, that I, I watch over for them. I'm glad to talk to anybody about it. I've done seminars and, and symposia on the topic. And, um, and I get irritated when, when I see stuff on TV that's easily avoidable. Right. Well, Jerry, again, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. And I, I, I hope that everybody heard the energy in my voice when I talked about taking care of the folks and making sure you have, you have continuity in your operations because that's, that's, uh, that'll keep you above the, the rest of the crowd. If you're running and nobody else is, everybody wonders what's going on. Yep. How'd you do that? <laughs> I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.